That's how it really starts. Can you give us some feedback on this and let us know what you think? And from there, you know, you could tell whether or not it's something that it inspires them or gets them excited. And with that, we were able to translate that excitement into Mm -hmm. a more meaningful relationship with a few of the folks. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is, again, your host, Jordan Peace. And today we get to talk to Savina Perez. In fact, I've been talking to Savina for about 11 minutes already before pressing record because we were just having too much fun and forgot to press the button. But Savina is the co-founder and chief customer officer at Hone. And Savina, first, let me just say welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Jordan, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This should be fun. I love what you guys are doing very pertinent to my background and what I'm interested in. So this is a personal kind of fun one for me. Speaking of Hone, let me say a few things about Hone and then I want to hear more in your own words, more importantly. But Hone, this is the official tagline here. Hone is the leader in deploying live learning at scale to power behavior change, human connection, and continuous development for people everywhere. We are revolutionizing workplace culture through our innovative approach to human skills development. And then I'll read the mission too, because there's some nuance here that I think is important. The mission is to reimagine training for the modern workforce. We believe, I love we believe statements. We believe that training should be a life-changing experience accessible to anyone, regardless of seniority or location, to ensure a more productive, equitable, and human workplace. Very cool. So my first question, very obviously, is... Mm -hmm. How did you get here? Why did you co-found a company called Hone, a company that's about training, behavioral change? Where did the inspiration come from in your life and in the lives of your co-founders? Absolutely. I think for me, Jordan, it was really based on my personal experiences within the workplace, going from individual contributor to manager, director, and to VP, and having to navigate that journey with not a lot of kind of formalized training or coaching along the way. And Mm. if you think about it, how much more effective could I have been earlier on in my career? How much more velocity could I have had during the course of that career had I Mm. had some type of opportunity to be able to understand what to do and what not to do? You know, I remember earlier on going into a board meeting, kind of being thrown into that mix and just trying to figure out ways to be able to understand how to communicate with this executive audience. Right. So being able to manage up and things of that nature didn't mm. necessarily come. It wasn't innate for me, right? I had right. to learn it on the yeah. job. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to build something that mm. would enable accessibility to this type of experience for people at all levels, 
as well as at all different types of organizations, despite what vertical it's in or the company size. And that served as the impetus for building what has become Hone. And for both me and my co-founder, Tom, we both were able to really just align very closely Mm. on what that meant in terms of being able to build something that would address the needs that we saw, but also internally from a team perspective, what did we want to build for our own team members and those types of experiences so we could kind of talk the talk and walk the walk. And you guys were only founded in 2018. This is not something that's been around a very, very long time, although about four years now, it's same year that I founded my company. So four years snuck up on me. But you've had a lot of success. You've already, I mean, you just raised a Series B. I was looking through some of your customer list, Clear, Slack, Rover, Aramark, for example. What's resonating with these name brand companies? You guys are obviously doing exceptionally well. Is there a secret sauce there? Is there a different flavor in the way that you approach it? Like, what is it that makes Hone different than what people have seen before? And obviously, they're responding to that, and they're they're very interested in working with you all. You know, I think it's a couple of different things. I think that we were first out of the gate, this modality of live Mm. virtual training. We did it pre-pandemic. That was our focus in an effort to scale and make this more accessible. Right. So I think that the fact that, you know, when we founded the company, we decided to really lean into the live virtual modality and provide classes that are instructor-led, they're highly interactive, but at the same token, you could take it from, you know, your computer just about anywhere was important to us. And I think that organizations, you know, realize the fact that given the fact that we've been doing this so long, we've been able to set, I don't want to necessarily say perfect, but certainly get the experience to a point that it's really advantageous Mm. for the learner. And as we think about efficacy, as we think about total experience, et cetera, And that's really where our focus has been, especially for the first couple of years, as we think about the evolution of the product and we were allocating our resource in terms of development. Yeah. The two things that jump right out at me, right? And the first two words you said, live and virtual, right? Right. Virtual, obviously, in this context, in 2022, we're like, well, yeah, duh, how else would you do it, right? But in 2018, not so much of a duh moment. It's like, oh, yeah, we just have people come to the office and do it that way. But there have been people remote long before the pandemic hit, right? Mm-hmm. There was a need for equity across those that were kind of in the hub and those that were not in the hub already. Right. Now we've just all become much more aware of that need, right? And much more committed to those that don't happen to live in the same town as the executive team, wherever that office is. So that's kind of obvious today. But I think about life, like, the training that I've done in my jobs in the past, not a single one of them have ever been live except for like, you know, mm-hmm. I used to work in a financial firm and somebody would come in and talk about their mutual fund because they want me to sell their mutual fund. Like it's not really training in this <laughs> sort of innocent way, right? And I think about just how much more engaged the user, the employee would be in a live setting right? Mm-hmm. Where you can see them, they can see you, you can ask questions. I bet there's a dramatic difference in terms of just the efficacy of that time spent versus clicking and watching a video without that accountability of having it be live. That's absolutely right, Jordan. Yeah. So I think that for us, you know, we've been able to kind of get a finger on the pulse of the right sized group that we want to bring together. You know, obviously, if you have 100 people, on a call, a Zoom call, right. it's going to come across more like a webinar than it would, you know, yeah. in terms of an interactive session. 
And so we try to keep the group small. So there is that interactive component where we also look at the talk time for our facilitators, those folks that are leading those classes, making Mm. sure that we're prompting questions, getting people engaged in the conversation, utilizing breakout rooms, polls, things of that nature. So people are not just kind of sitting back and having almost a reactive experience to the training and development, right? They're engaged. You know, you could see it in the way that they look on the video. They're leaning in versus Mm -hmm. kind of leaning out (laughs) and looking this way as they're, you know, looking to the right or left as they're on their computer and they're trying to multitask. And that's something that we took really seriously because, Mm -hmm. you know, training is only going to be as effective as the engagement of the people that are going through that training. Other than that, they're not going to be able to retain really, you know, how can they retain what they're learning within the class itself? Right. I would imagine, I don't know enough about your company to speak intelligently, which is unfortunate, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you all had to create the supply and the demand, correct? Like there weren't necessarily ready-made trainers that you could just tap into, or was there a network that was useful to you in getting started? And then you built from there. How did you get the supply side figured out? Well, I think there's an incredible bench of high quality executive coaches that we were able Mm -hmm. to tap into. That's what we're looking for. So we're not trying to commoditize coaching or coaches. What we're looking for are those with the most experience that can provide the best quality experience for our learners and, you know, in a group setting. And we want to be able to, for them to have that experience of having an executive coach leading those conversations, if you will. So for us, we were able to tap into what, you know, what was already existing. They not only are credentialed, you know, with the respective certifications, but they are also really good at being able to deliver virtually. And that's kind of the secret sauce, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could be the Mm -hmm. best executive coach or facilitator in the world in person, but if you're not able to hold the attention of somebody virtually, it's just not going to work. And so that's something that we look for in terms of, you know, our facilitators, our coaches that are delivering these classes. Yeah. It's a modern day version of like when texting started to become really popular and there are people that you could talk to on the phone that were just so fantastic, but they're so horrible at texting, unbearable that you can't even have a conversation over text. Like, never mind, I'll call you, right? Oh man, I've got a friend that's like, it's like phrase dot, 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 phrase dot, dot, dot. Like it's not even the right punctuation. I'm just like, what in the world? <laughs> or you, you get a text from a parent and I remember getting it from my mom or dad and they would yeah. uh, sign off, love dad, love yes! mom. The signature at the end is the best. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, just when you were talking about like virtual versus in-person, it's like, it's not always transferable, you know, it's believe exactly. it or not. It's just, it's not always there. So that you're right. That is a bit of the secret sauce. You guys have had a great year in that. I know that you just closed your series B really recently, right? Like a month before mm. this recording. Is that well, right? Or am exactly. I? Exactly. Well, it's around that time period. Yes. That is awesome. Were you much a part of the fundraising process and meeting with investors? Or are you saved from that in your role? And that's more Tom that has to suffer in silence. Oh my goodness. I don't know if he suffers in silence. He's great at it. We keep the ball where I think it's best. And when it comes to the fundraising <laughs> aspect of it, I think that yeah. Tom does an incredible job being able to speak with the investors or prospective investors with regards to obviously what we're building that's and awesome. the impact that we've had so far. But I think the entire team is here trying to propel those efforts as we totally. go through it because, you yeah. know, you've gone through this, you know what it's like. Yeah. It's a full team effort because there's got to yeah. be people that are holding down the fort 
when the CEO or the founders are out there trying to go through that process. Totally. It's like another job. I mean, it's really hard. It's like, yeah, every time I fundraise, I feel like I'm going, I'm like, all right, what is my job again? After we like afterwards, what do I do here? Because you just switch gears so completely, but, but congrats. It's particularly impressive in 2022. It's been a brutal year from a market standpoint. I think Mm -hmm. the VC community has struggled a lot. And so to raise and to raise significantly this year, I think is says something about your organization and says something about the traction that you've gained and where people believe you're going to grow to. So that is awesome. And it also says something about the investors with regards to the fact that they have such conviction around what we're building here. So we've been really lucky in terms of the folks that have supported us. And to your point, I think that the team that's building this solution internally has works hard to make sure that we're able to continue to grow, that we're building something that's really going to solve for need that organizations have today around scalable right. training and development. And so that's where we're going to keep, we're going to keep our eye on the prize and that's where our focus is. So talk about your organization internally, because I know mm-hmm. it's, I mean, you've got the word culture in here in several places, sort of in the write-up and in the mission, and you're trying to impact the culture of other organizations, right? But it all starts at home. And I'm curious how you integrate the training aspect using your own product internally, and I'm sure you do, but what are the other things that are unique about your company culture or that you're proud of about your company culture that you're essentially trying to export out there into the world and and help others sort of kind of follow your lead, if you will? That's a great question. I think, well, first of all, just speaking to kind of our, what we call homegrown programs, so, uh, nice. you know, <laughs> love a good pun. There, there you go. We have an incredible <laughs> operations team that came up with that. But that being said, all of our teammates have access to home. So they're yeah. able to level up or upskill in specific areas, you know, of focus. But I think that in terms of what's made us successful as an organization and building our own kind of company culture, I will say that you know, I'll lean into what I had said earlier with the fact that we were remote first, not mm-hmm. only from a product perspective, but also from a company perspective pre-pandemic. So we wanted always the best talent in place. That doesn't necessarily come from one of the coasts. We wanted to be able to open right. it up and really provide an opportunity for everyone to have a chance to work at home. And we wanted the opportunity to find the best talent. So yeah. we have been remote from day one. We optimize our team's for that, yeah. giving them what they need to be successful in a remote environment, if you will. But in addition to that, we also have hubs. Don't get me wrong. We do have like hubs in San Francisco yeah. and San Diego and New York where people, if they want to come into the office, they're able to. But that is something that has obviously worked for us in addition to some of the learning and development opportunities that we're providing to our own employees. That's one major component. Totally selfish question here because I'm building similarly a remote first organization. We got mm-hmm. folks out of 20 states or something now or whatever the case may be. We have built one such kind of hub so far, and I'm trying to figure out what the process is along the way. I mean, speaking of being equitable and so forth, like, Mm -hmm. is there a certain critical mass? Is there like, how do you know kind of when to do that again and again? Or is that even the plan? You know, or is it just kind of, hey, we got one on each coast or I mean, I don't want to put you to it like. What have you been considering on that front? Or like, how did you go about making the decision to do this in the first place, mm-hmm. given that you started fully remote? 
Oh, it's funny with regards to building out like kind of a hub yeah, um, or yeah. co-working space, if you were a small space for people to get together. I don't want to say there's necessarily a critical mass. I think that our people yeah. are inherently that work at the organization are inherently social. They want to get together, yeah. not only virtually, but also in person, yep. enjoy dinners, lunches, just be able to connect again. And I think that them getting together, just being able to find a co-working spot, that's something that we do offer as a co-working site oh, cool. for people that want to be able to access, you know, space outside of their homes. And we saw that and we were able to say, okay, like maybe it makes sense for us to have a little bit of a little hub in one of these cities. And we're speaking where there's, you know, five plus employees that are able to come in and it seems to be working right now. So I'd like to say we have a finger on the pulse of the exact number of people that it would take to create a hub. You might have to go back to our people ops team, but I do know that when there's five or six people in a city, you tend to have a few that want to come into the office. That's really cool that you offer a stipend for co-working space because I don't like me personally, like I'm married, I've got five children, you know, Mm -hmm. I pull the curtain back. So you see, I'm working in a closet right now, literally. So for me to be able to get out, it's actually like, that's huge. It's actually really valuable for the social aspect, but also for kind of the hiding from kids aspect as well, right? And so like, not everybody's excited to work from home all the time. So that's cool that you do that. Well, yeah, I think it's important. I think also selfishly, I work in, you know, I'm based in New York and Brooklyn. I live in a small apartment here. So you can imagine if someone is in the living room, I'm stuck in one of the bedrooms taking a call. (laughs) Right. Not always the most effective experience for some of the calls that that I'm taking. So it's nice to have a place to be able to go to. That's awesome. So from a customer perspective, I'm curious to think about using home from a customer perspective and what kind of experiences people are getting. What were some of the biggest needs that you found when you kind of you got out there, you established some training courses that and I imagine there were, I don't know. 10, let's say, to start out, right? Uh And then I'd imagine at that point, you start getting customer feedback and like, hey, what other types of trainings are you looking for, et cetera? Like, what is the feedback of like, when we really need training on A or B or C, was there a big kind of hole in the training curriculums that people were experiencing that they were really hungry for training on a certain topic? I love that you're asking that because I do remember the point early on where I think that we had one program four or five years ago, one program that yeah. we offered that was like 16 weeks in length. Oh. <laughs> Not, you know, now we have 60 plus classes, but that's where we started. That's good. Hey, 16 <laughs> weeks of programs. Like this is the only thing that you get. We, this solves everything. <laughs> but you learn from that, you iterate, right? So I think that yeah, for us, where we've been successful and where our wedge has been, is around foundational management training. So organizations, okay. not say if they're in hypergrowth mode, both of us know about, you know, high growth venture-backed organizations. Yeah. You tend to, once you get around to fundraising, then you're like, you know, doubling the team size. Those individuals that were with you early on are then promoted into manager level positions mm-hmm. with really not necessarily any experience with that, how to be a people manager. And so what I was, what I called battlefield promotions so they're great at what they do, and I see as an IC, they've done well enough that now they've got to that next point. And so these organizations are looking for ways to be able to level up the skill set hmm. for those new managers in terms of around topics such as you know like coaching and being able to build high trust relationships. So really the core 101 management program. So a lot of organizations have a need around that, or if they're looking to standardize training mm-hmm. across an organization. So it doesn't okay. really work. If one department is doing this and another department is doing that, you want to be able to know that your managers are kind of managing along 
right. similar frameworks, et cetera. Right. So just being able to standardize that and roll that out. Mm. So we saw that that being a need. And of course, the progressive programs with like a tool, one core, three, one core. And then okay. I would say the past couple of years, diversity and inclusion training has obviously been top of mind, thank goodness, right, for these organizations yeah. to put that as a priority. And that's also been a program or series of programs that have really resonated with our customer base. That makes sense. I agree. That's we're starting to do some training kind of in our organization now, just kind of getting to a point where like, I think we have enough people and we get a lot of the foundation set. Like, let's kind of upskill some of these folks and in preparation for hiring and all that good stuff and starting with really DEIB as like the first like two or three trainings will really mm-hmm. be kind of starting there, which I think is great. And great that there's resources like Hone out there to utilize to just have really solid material there, right? Because there's a lot that you could find out there that, you know, it might be okay. It might not be something you really want to teach. Right. It might be free, which is not a good sign, but that's really awesome. Being that you're at this Series B stage, right? Mm-hmm. Just raised a bunch of money. You got a couple of hubs. You got some name brand customers, right? Yeah. We mentioned Clear, Slack, et cetera. What's next for you guys? It kind of feels like a stage in which it's like, well, clearly you've got a lot of traction. Clearly people love your product. Clearly there's a lot of growth happening. There's investors that want to be involved. Mm-hmm. So what changes after Series B? Is it a new market? Is it a new use case? Is it like, What's going to change in the next year or two? Oh, goodness. In terms of what's on the horizon for the next, you know, six to 12 months, I would say that for the past couple of years, we've really been lucky to service the mid-market organizations as they look to initiate training development programs within their organizations or scale those. And of course, with some success, we've been able to get catch the eye of enterprise organizations So I think that for us, the focus is continuing Mm. to deliver an exceptional experience and provide the functionality that is needed for organizations looking to train not just 500, 1,000, 2,000 managers, but even more than that. So these enterprise organizations looking to utilize Hone as a a service provider for their training and development needs across the organization. So I think that for us, that's going to be a focus, as you you mentioned, some of the names of the companies that we work with, for us to be able to continue to deliver a high quality experience for organizations of that size. And when you think about that, it's not only content, making sure that we're able to deliver in multiple time zones, that the content is going to resonate Mm -hmm. with organizations that have offices in different countries uh, and being able to service that, you know, they don't want to rehear back from our team that's based in the U.S., within 42 hours, you know, right. 68 hours, whatever, what have you, they want yeah. immediate response. So just making sure that we're optimizing our team and the product for success with that market. Yeah. I'd imagine too, is the larger organizations have more international employees, like you mentioned, and not only do they want to hear back, but I'd imagine also there may be some issues with maybe English is not one of the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the languages that folks speak in certain places. Right. And mm-hmm. so is that impacting you guys on the supply side as well? Trying to think about, you know, how do we bring in trainers that have the language skills necessary? Or is that sort of something you've been working on a long time already? That's been a focus for us. I yeah. think that's also, you asked earlier, kind of a differentiator for us. I think there's a couple yeah. of things, obviously the live virtual component. We also yeah. are able to tailor some of the content. So it's contextual for the people that are going through the training and the organization. Yeah. In addition to that, we're able to, and early on, been able to service a global workforce. And so that mainly has to do with time zone and being able to offer classes at different time zones. 
less around the language component, but there's organizations that have had to, or we've had to deliver in Japanese, German, Spanish, so on and so forth. So I think that's something that we, you know, we continue to keep a close eye on and we're here to be of service to our incredible partners and customers. So we'll figure out a a way to make it go if that's a need. That's awesome. One last thing I wanted to ask you about that I was looking through your list of advisors and Mm -hmm. it's really impressive. Imagine you spent some time being a co-founder with these folks. Josh Burson's on that list. The CPO at Pinterest, whose name I'm forgetting right this minute, but CPO at Dashlane, former head of people at Gusto. Like, let's have some like serious heavy hitters. Give me some advice on how do you find such great people to partner? I mean, do you feel like your culture is just kind of you're exporting your culture really well and you're just exuding something that folks are like, I want to be a part of that? Or is it really intentional outreach or being connected? And I'm just curious how that has come together because you must be getting fantastic advice. We do have an incredible group of advisors. I got to say that they not only do they come with a great series of experiences, but they're just engaged. And that's important when you think about advisors, right? You not only want to have them because they've had the experience, but they need to be able to set aside time to be able right. to. Right. Yes. So, and that's hard when you think of the people, especially yeah. the caliber of people that we have that are advising Hone. But I think it's one thing that we've been able to really leverage is our networks to find yeah. these incredible folks that in the earliest days we're like, okay, do you mind if we demo this so we can get some feedback? That's how it yeah. really starts. Just can you give us some feedback on this and let us know what you think? And from there, you could tell whether or not it's something that it inspires them or gets them excited. And with that, we were able to translate that excitement into mm. a more meaningful relationship with a few of the folks that turned yeah. into an advisorships, if you will. So I think it's just being able to go out awesome. there and it kind of hard in hands. And what's yeah. been successful for us is just being able to ask questions, get feedback mm. in an effort to be able to continue to build the best product that we can. That's awesome. I mean, it's great advice for any founders that listen. And we do have a fair bit of founders that listen and people leaders and others. But for the founders, just I think we're always thinking about I need to make a sale. Right. And so when we spend our time in meetings is we want somebody to buy something. But you're talking about just find the right people, show them what you have right hard in hand vulnerable, probably, especially in the early days, right? Oh, and, especially and just, in the earliest days. Right? Hey, what do you think of this like thing that I'm not even yet proud of? That's a vulnerable place to be. But that courage, you know, I think that pays off. That's fantastic. Just to kind of as a wrap up, what other advice would you give? You know, I mean, at this point, you really could count yourselves amongst rare company, a series B level company that's got great advisors, great customers. You, you've been really successful. And I think we sometimes we live in such a small community in the startup world that we forget how rare it all is, right? But you're in breathing rarefied air. What advice would you give to listeners? Focus around how to build a product that you're passionate about, and then how to pull in the advisors, the investors, the employees that are you know, on board with you. And they like want to get on the ship. And, you know, like, how did you all do that from two people to to now? And I'm not even sure how big you guys are at this point. Yeah, we've got a number of people on the team. I think there were about 100 at this point. But that's a good question, Jordan. What advice do I have? Well, I will say that it really starts with the people, the team. Mm -hmm. And because they're the ones that are doing all of the hard work. 
and building, but also kind of evangelizing what we are doing into the market. So things that we do with our team members in an effort to make sure that they feel seen, heard, empowered. Like we do conduct a weekly all hands with the entire company just to be able to provide company updates across the board and provide the transparency. Weekly one-to-ones with direct reports, you know, that's self-explanatory. Skip level conversations. It's something mm-hmm. that I know that I've started to do. I know that Tom, my co-founder, is doing as well. And in order to get a kind of a finger on the pulse, not only from our direct reports, but also from those folks on the team that have such valuable insight to provide. Yep. And then we also started doing monthly founder lunches and just being able to have an open forum for whatever mm. subject or topics that people from the organization want to be able to discuss. And that's imperative as you continue to grow as an organization, especially at the size that we now find ourselves. It's hard to get that one-to-one time with a lot of people. Yeah. And also we're not in a single office per se, right? So we're right. A primarily remote team, even though we do have our hubs. So like that water cooler kind of chit chat or being able to just sit next to somebody at lunch is not something that's necessarily right. easily, easy to access or easily be, you know, something that's, that happens in, in a day to day. So just making sure that people feel heard, empowered, providing those opportunities and space yep. to make that. So it's important. And I will say the second thing is in terms of, of feedback or advice, that was given to me. And so I'll share it here. Really, really simple. Enjoy the journey. We were always moving a thousand miles a minute, but sometimes we need to just kind of take a step back and say, wow, you know, look at us collectively. What have we done? Look at the impact that we've had. And let's worry less about the numbers or revenue targets, things of that nature, and more around impact that we're truly having, not only within our own organization, but for us, we think about things externally, the impact that we're having on the people that are going through the training and what that might mean for the individual right. as well as for the business. That's awesome. You have a clear passion for people. Both of your answers were about people ultimately, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> internally and externally. Yes. You just love people, which is something that you can't teach. And that's one of those things you found a company like it, you have passion for it. And mm-hmm. if you don't have passion for it, it's just not going to work, period. Right. That's like, right. There's there's like no hope whatsoever if you don't have passion for what you're doing. That's really cool to hear. I really it's specifically like the encouragement around the skip level conversations because I've been doing that more lately mm-hmm. and it's been so great. And I'm like, oh my God, it's not anybody's fault, but there's just this telephone game reality that like I hear a diluted version of something that was diluted. Just like I'm getting cliff notes, right? And if I can talk directly to that director, manager, whomever, you know, that like it's, is actually doing this thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just learned so much about my own company and like how we're doing in this area. That's really great advice among other really great advice. So thank you for that. This has been a lot of fun and I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are and I know you guys are in growth mode and everything else. So I'm just really appreciative. Thank you, Savina. Super excited to be here. Can't thank you enough for inviting me on. Really enjoyed the conversation, both this now, but also the 11 minutes preamble, the the prior. (laughs) This has been great. So I appreciate all that you're doing here and hopefully we were able to do it again. But that being said, quickly, people are interested in learning more about Hone. If they want to hop to our website, it's honehq.com. So honehq.com. Yep. And Savina Perez, I'm sure she's very active on LinkedIn. So you can hit her up for yes. some free advice before you buy her lovely service and get lots of advice from there as well. But thank you, everybody, for listening to Bragworthy Culture. And we will catch you next week. Bye bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.